Hi, this is Patrick Kilpatrick, and I'm the next guest on On Screen and Beyond. On Screen and Beyond, an inside look into the entertainment world featuring interviews with people from the movie, TV, and music industry, news on upcoming TV and DVD releases, and the rumor mill. And now, here's the host of On Screen and Beyond, Brian Zemrak. Thank you for joining me for another edition of On Screen and Beyond. I'm your host, Brian Zemrak. This is episode 516 of the show that keeps you updated on what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies, remakes, sequels, and TV and movie DVD releases, as well as our interview segment with a guest from the movie, TV, or music industry. This week on On Screen and Beyond, Patrick Kilpatrick, who's going to be joining us. He has had over 170 films and TV shows. He's the guy you love to hate. He's the usually the bad guy in the films and TV shows. He's got a new book out, too, so uh, we'll give you inf- more information on that. It's coming up in a few minutes right here on On Screen and Beyond, Patrick Kilpatrick. And this week on On Screen and Beyond, we have new information on the latest Star Wars film and a new space adventure with Brad Pitt. So we got lots of things coming your way. It's all coming up in a few minutes, right here on On Screen and Beyond. But now it's time for Remake Madness. Remake Madness, it looks like Elizabeth Moss of Mad Men and The Handmaid's Tale will star in the remake of The Invisible Man, taking over for Johnny Depp. Now, uh, there's no idea yet if, uh, you know, she's going to be taking over the role of the Invisible Man and if it's going to change the name to the Invisible Woman or what's going on, we don't really know. But uh, we'll keep you informed, and there's no release date yet on that one. And Disney's live-action remake of Aladdin will be hitting theaters on May 24th, and the animated remake of The Addams Family will slide into theaters on October 11th. And that's it for Remake Madness, coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as upcoming new movies. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Upcoming new movies, Pixar's new film Onward will come our way on March 6, 2020. And on March 24th, you can look for Brad Pitt, Tommy Lee Jones, and Donald Sutherland, quite a cast there, in Ad Astra, as an astronaut travels to the outer edges of the solar system to find his missing father. And he finds more than he bargained for. Speaking of Brad Pitt... Well, it looks like he'll be producing a miniseries called Lewis and Clark for TV. Casey Affleck will be in the series, so get ready for that. And that's it for upcoming new movies. Next on On Screen and Beyond, taking you down to Sequel City to find out what's coming your way as far as sequels. Sequel City, well, the latest sequel in the Star Wars saga will arrive on December 20th this year. And it's called Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Toy Story 4 arrives on June 21st in theaters, and Spider-Man Far From Home swings into theaters on July 5th. 
And that's it for Sequel City. Coming up next on On Screen and Beyond, what's coming your way as far as TV on DVD. TV on DVD, well, it looks like May 28th is the date that you can pick up South Park, the complete 22nd season. And Outlander Season 4 also hits stores on May 28th. And Gotham, the complete series, flies into stores on June 11th. And that's it for TV on DVD. Next on On Screen and Beyond, let's take a peek at what's coming your way as far as movies on DVD. Movies on DVD, Isn't It Romantic? Hits Blu-ray and DVD on May 21st. And on June 4th, look for The Man Who Killed Don Quixote. And that's going to be hitting stores in Blu-ray and DVD on that date. And Johnny English, the three-movie collection, comes our way on June 4th. That's it for Movies on DVD. Coming up next on On Screen or Beyond, it's time for TV and Entertainment Time. TV and Entertainment Time, it looks like Blue Bloods, starring Tom Selleck on CBS, has been renewed for a 10th season. And Disney Plus launches in November. The streaming service from the House of Mouse will be $6.99 a month or $69.99 for a year in advance. And Universal in California, the theme park will be having a ride called The Secret Life of Pets Off the Leash that will open in 2020. That's it for TV and Entertainment Time. Next on On Screen and Beyond, we have with us Patrick Kilpatrick, the guy you love to hate, the evil guy, the mean guy. (laughs) Not just that. He's done a lot of other things, too. But that's a lot of the stuff that he does. And he's been in movies with Tom Cruise and Arnold Schwarzenegger and all sorts of people. He's next. He's got a new book out, and we're going to hear all about it next, right here on On Screen and Beyond. Our guest today on On Screen and Beyond is an actor who is one of those actors who can be one of the meanest villains on screen. He has appeared in over 170 films and TV shows over the years alongside the likes of Tom Cruise, Bruce Willis, and Arnold Schwarzenegger in movies including Minority Report, Eraser, and The Presidio. He has a book out called Dying for Living, Sins and Confessions of a Hollywood Villain and Libertine Patriot. It's Patrick Kilpatrick. Patrick, welcome to On Screen and Beyond. Thanks for having me. Now, Patrick, you're one of those actors, like I was saying in the intro, that you know people love to hate. <laughs> Is, was that in, what you intended to do when you became an actor? No. Um, I, when I started working, your, your main goal is, I just want to be a working actor. Right. <laughs> and... Um, uh, in fact, I, you know, I kind of started out playing leading men and that kind of thing, but um, it gravitated to a lot of the antagonist kind of things with uh, some early time. Um, I uh, Whatever it was that I had, whether it was a look or an energy, it seemed to fit all of that. And um, Hollywood has a tendency to continue you doing whatever they think is expedient or mm-hmm. uh, the, the 
the most readily available decision. Uh, the funny thing is, in writing the book, I recalled that when I was in first grade, we did a play, The Pied Piper of Hamlin, and I was made the villain in that play. So uh, whatever the energy was started very early on. I mean, I played uh, not bad guys. Oh, yeah. Too. I, I, it's just acting, but the vast majority of it has been villains. Mm-hmm. Do you like those juicy, do you feel they're juicy roles? Everybody always says, oh, the villain's the juicy role. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of great diversity there and versatility. It's never the same person. Um, there's a lot of rich uh, histrionics involved and sometimes eating the scenery with stuff. It's like, it can be a lot of fun. Um, it's hard for them to cut your scenes out of a movie or to reduce them because they're pivotal to the action of the story. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I kept working, you know, and I had a family, and that was really important. Yeah, yeah, I was looking at your credits, and it's like, this is incredible. I mean, you know, you've got so many, right now, you've got so many movies in pre-production and post-production and everything else. It's crazy. <laughs> well, I, I evolved into a person who not only gets hired as a lead actor, but sometimes I get hired to, to polish the script along with that, or uh, I got known as somebody who was good with the improvisation, so if the script wasn't fully realized, then I could fill in the blanks there. And also, I kind of made it my business to know the business uh, all the way through, from idea inception to global return distribution. So um, a lot of times, uh, young filmmakers and people uh, beginning will have a great idea for a film, but they really don't know all the expertise that they're going to need to in order to make it successful. So a lot of times I get hired as the villain, and then I end up doing producing or producing consulting or uh-huh. script polishing, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Now, what made you decide to write a book? Well, there were a lot of reasons. Number one, you know, I began as a journalist and an advertising writer um, when I got out of college, uh, even to some extent while I was at university. So writing has always been not only uh, part of my life, but my earliest heroes were writers and the characters in their work. And I never really gave a thought to acting at that stage um, so um, I have always been a writer, uh, but the energy towards that went towards first towards advertising and journalism, and then when I got into entertainment, towards plays, and then script writing. Um, but in a very real sense, I was an embedded journalist through this 35 years um, of doing 170 films and television shows. So. I was up close and personal with all these people and uh, knew the inners working of it all and not merely the films but the mastery of auditioning and the, uh, the script writing and all of that and so I had a lot of tales and uh, even the advertising and journalism for every magazine in New York was an interesting tale and I'd always been sort of an exuberant uh, life eater, if you would. So I had a lot of stories, and sometimes people would gather and tell stories, and I found that I generally had a story that 
topped whatever was being discussed. And that really didn't make me feel good because I didn't want to be uh, topping other people telling stories. I wanted to have my own place to, to put these tales mm-hmm. and uh, insights uh, uh, and, and sort of tear back the curtain. So uh, I, I got a break in the, the sort of pace of producing and script writing, and so uh, with a great deal of joy, I sat down and started to write the book. Um, and I was courting the woman that I'm marrying in, in, in May. Oh, congratulations. Uh, thank you. And, and so I would send her a chapter every week and um, try to keep her enthralled and... and uh, um, I really enjoyed the process of not having to do something with a whole mess of people and millions of dollars. Um, it was just great to sit down and just get back to not only writing um, alone, but to be writing somewhat about myself or certainly about myself rather than creating these mythical worlds that I've been creating with um screenwriting so it was just a it's a, a, a another artistic expression yeah yeah how did you come up with the title well um dying for living refers to playing the villains of right. course, <laughs> the, the villain always ends up getting his comeuppance uh i say jokingly i've been either jailed or beaten up or killed by every leading man on the planet and in outer space but um <laughs> Uh, it referred to that, but also it really referred to sort of a way of life, a gobbling of life, every moment of life, um, uh, and sometimes taking a great deal of risks, whether it was doing my own stunts or uh, driving cars recklessly when I was a child or motorcycles or uh, uh, drug exploration, whatever. I was always sort of um, exploring the nature of life, because I figure we're only here for a very, very short time, even if you live to be 114. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Now, you said you, you used to do some of your own stunts. Uh, did you ever get hurt? Well, nothing catastrophic. I certainly took a lot of bumps and bruises. Uh, you you know, you pad up a great deal. Sometimes you make wardrobe decisions based on where can you put the uh, el- uh, the elbow pads or the knee pads um, which I would do for two reasons one you don't want to be injured and, and uh, two um, you want to be able to fully emotionally uh, explode if you will into the scene and not be worried about uh, you know um, catching your knee or, or, or protecting your knee or something so it's all done with a great deal of uh, calculation. Um, I mean, I carried around my own bag of state-of-the-art skateboard pads uh, for a decade or more. I did have a stunt double for some things, a wonderful stuntman named Dave Rowden, who did uh, some really lethal stuff mm-hmm. uh, when the production wouldn't let me do them. But sometimes they would let me do them, and I enjoyed it because, you know, you're you're putting yourself out there, and 
I understand why Tom Cruise does so many of his own stunts because it's kind of a victory over the elements when you are able to pull it off. Yeah, <laughs> but it's crazy though. <laughs> well, again, I felt very confident in my physical abilities. You know, mm-hmm, yeah. you've got people who, if you're blasting through a window that's exploding as you go through it. Uh, you know, the, the special effects guys, they know what they're doing. Right, yeah. Accidents do happen, but, um, you know, c'est la vie. One has to live. <laughs> so, uh, now, of all the films that you've been in, and you talked about, um, you know, dying different ways and by so many different people, what do you feel is the most uh, uh, extraordinary way that you were you were knocked off? <laughs> Uh, there have been a couple. My favorite is um, there's a, a wonderful actress named Sherry Lynn Wilson, uh, just an absolute beauty young girl. And, and uh, in this one movie, Parasomnia, I became obsessed with her. And yeah, my character did. And so um, in the end, she dispatched me by putting two screwdrivers into my eyeball. Oh, jeez. <laughs> And uh, the apparatus they built in order to make that appear as if it had happened was, you know, it was a uh, an apparatus that I would wear that had to because I live for a period of time after she uh, plunged these screwdrivers into my eyeball, so <laughs> for at least a line or two, and that was kind of. Uh, wonderful, and it's always been a favorite. It's a favorite movie of mine anyway, because Bill Malone, the wonderful director of Fear.com and, and uh, House on Haunted Hill put it together, and he created a very intelligent, uh, very verbal villain um, in the character I was playing, so I was fond of that. But it was also pretty cool to get my head ripped off by a what do you call that? Um, oh, what's that machine that they use to load uh, big packages in warehouses? A forklift? Um, yeah, a forklift. Um, I was strung up on a forklift in class of 1999. My head was pulled off by the chain. So that was a, a memorable one <laughs> as well. Sounds like you've gone through quite a few different ways. <laughs> Well, sometimes, you know, the villains sometimes seemingly spring back to life after you think they're dead. So, uh, I mean, class of 1999, I also got hit by a school bus going full speed. So, um, and they, you think that I'm finished by that, but it really didn't uh, drive a stake through my heart. So, uh, uh, yeah, there's been a lot of stuff. Uh, a, a lot of deaths, a lot of squibs. Do you know what squibs are? Uh, no, I don't think so. Well, when you're getting shot in the movies, they put a sometimes put a harness on you, and they it's underneath your shirt, and they're filled with essentially little bags uh, filled with um, blood-colored uh, syrup. And so when you get machine gunned or shot, uh, there's a little explosive charge to it, and it blows the blood pack out, so yeah, it ruptures okay. out of your clothes. Mm-hmm. 
and uh, the bullet wound appears. So there was a lot of squibs and ratchets, pneumatic ratchets, which you uh, you get yanked through a door or blown back by gunfire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, those are a little risky, the ratchets. Uh, um, I... Uh, there's a great one in um, Last Man Standing, which Dave actually did, and I've always been thankful that he did that one because they miscalculated on his launch and didn't factor in that he was on a step, to about a three-foot step. So he went way beyond where they had prepared the ground for him to land and almost hit a truck across the street. But um, uh, it made for a great shot. Hmm. <laughs> Some of my favorite things were uh, precision driving, you know, when you're doing 360s or 180s in a car. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are a lot of fun. Yeah. We'll be back with more of our guests right after this short break. Wow. You've worked with a lot of different people. Is there anybody that you were, uh, you know, just blown over that you were going to work with this person, this actor or actress? Well, um, everybody's got a different personality. I, I think the most gracious person I ever worked with was Chow Yun-Fat, the great Chinese director, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, actor, mm-hmm. arguably the uh, biggest actor at the in the world at the time in the movie Replacement Killers. Um, and he was just a wonderful spirit. Oddly enough, he doesn't like guns, which is really ironic since his career um, was launched by Hart Boiled and The Killer, which is um, are about the greatest gunfire movies uh, ever created by John Woo. But... Um, you know, everybody's very interesting. Sean Connery was very much a movie star. And mm, yeah. So he's sort of like one pit bull, and I'm a pit bull, and that plays it into the scene. Um, uh, there are a lot of people who, and I articulate this in the book, who are really, I think, brain damaged at this point. So it's always interesting to work with them because you're not really working with them. You're working with a stunt double or something else. I mean, it makes for a lot of humor, although it's tragic humor, because people, it's not good when people destroy themselves, but uh, I'm very candid about it. If I say something good about somebody in the movie, it's because they they were good. Uh, I have, I loved working with Tom Cruise. He was very dedicated, very, did his own stunts with me. Um, extremely gracious to my children when we were, we were on the set. Um, Mark Harmon's another extraordinarily nice person. And then there are the nutballs, you know, the Michael Madsen's and the Gary Busey's and <laughs> Tom Sizemore's and Peter Green's that make things interesting. <laughs> now, does your book go into all, all those different people you've worked with, with and everything? Oh, yeah, of course, sure. In fact, it's ongoing. Every movie I do seems to provide a new chapter. Sure. (laughs) So, am am I correct that, is this, are you making a second book? 
I am. Uh, when I wrote the initial book, it ended up being about 600 pages, and I felt that was too long for one book. Mm-hmm. So we divided it, although we front-loaded a lot of Hollywood stuff in Volume 1. Um, but Volume 1 dealt with my upbringing. I had a very, I think, very unique upbringing. My mother had some mental illness uh, issues, and my father was a World War II underwater demolition team hero who went on to strike out George Bush and to win the National Collegiate Baseball Championship and then to found Cigna Corporation. So I had a very privileged upbringing, which was marred by my mother's uh, mental uh, problems and um, uh, a lot of education and a lot of horses and a lot of athletics. And also, um, she was uh, extremely vividly and graphically unfaithful to my father uh, with my football baseball coach in high school who was also a dominant guy in my life and so uh, all of that sort of coalesced coalesced, uh, to make a a sort of tumultuous upbringing Mm -hmm. and uh, then the magazine stuff and that led to uh, assistant directing and directing on Broadway and uh, off Broadway and and uh, playwriting and and then so even though I front loaded a whole bunch of uh, Hollywood stuff in Volume One, Volume Two is all show business, mm-hmm. um, and really has to do with just job after job after job and the intricacies of that and how it's all co- was connected up and. Uh, you know, I have one section called The Rapist's Lament, where I I actually uh, have been hired a bunch of times to kidnap and rape the leading actress, which is always makes for a crazy uh, dynamic on the set. Mm. So, yeah, all of this is covered. Wow. I even cover the horses that I did in uh, Westerns because they were so extraordinary. Uh, Twister, who's done... Twister may be dead now, but um, he had done, when I worked with him, about 250 aerial falls. Wow. Uh, he actually loved to take falls. Huh. And, uh, you know, a real performer. And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I, I cover the gamut. Yeah. Now, is I think there's something in the book for if somebody likes sci-fi, they'll enjoy Minority Report and Star Trek, the very memorable Star Trek episodes and Deep Space Nine. And then if somebody likes Westerns, I've had the privilege of doing two with Tom Selleck that were the highest rated cable movies in their time. And one with Sam Elliott and Kate Capshaw, the Spielberg's um, uh, future wife. And so there's, it covers a lot of ground. Wow. I also cover the politics of Hollywood. Uh, in depth, which has been very unique. That could be a whole book, I'm sure. <laughs> it could be, yeah. I um, in in book one, I articulated how you know I, I was raised in a very patriotic um, environment, and uh, with my father's World War II service and uh, <clears throat> the sort of Connecticut and Virginia American Revolution and Civil War historical basis, but then, of course, when I found myself in Hollywood, I was, they were extremely anti-military, and 
I thought, anti-American in a lot of ways, um, which continues to this day. Uh, one of the reasons I'm so glad that I'm polishing volume two right now is because, you know, the world moves so rapidly. Mm, that's for sure. The the pop, uh, not only the cinematic moment in time, but the political moment in time. So um, it's good to to have some time to put all of that in perspective and get something that will actually stand the test of time. Yeah. So when will Volume 2 be out? Well, I hope by the fall. Mm -hmm. uh, we've got some signings at the Telluride Film Festival and uh, at, at Denver at a bookstore called the Tattered uh, tattered bookstore and between the covers at Telluride, Colorado during the festival. So that's the plan. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I, I'm smart enough to uh, put deadlines on myself and human enough to realize that they don't always come out exactly. You, you want it to be able to endure, so you want to make sure you cover all the ground. Right, yeah, yeah. So, but it's moving right along. Yeah, it sounds sounds like <laughs> you keep yourself busy. That's for sure. Well, it's uh, you know you, you keep yourself busy. And you've also got to take some time off. Or, uh, writing is something that can completely burn you out. Um, as does acting. As does anything. You have to you know to modulate it. When I'm writing, mostly I'm I'm working all day and then going to something physical like. Uh, a physical workout or a Pilates class or a swimming session or something like that just to blow off that energy at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. yeah. And I was looking at your, your credits and and one of the, the, the thing that I noticed, one thing, the very first thing that they have listed for you. Now, this may not be the first thing you were in and you can correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong or if my, if my research is wrong, but you were in Toxic Avenger? Yeah, Toxic Avenger was probably my first, uh, it wasn't my first SAG film. I had actually done, I was uh, going to graduate school at New York University, uh, their film and videotape pro program. So I did a lot of student films in the first months um, uh, at New York University. But uh, Toxic Avenger, to me, when I got into it, was sort of a glorified student film. Of course, it then went on to make millions and millions of dollars and become a sort of cu a cultural phenomenon. Right, but yeah. I wasn't yet in the union, so it was... Um, in fact, they liked what I did, so they doubled my salary for the week for seventy-five from $75 to $150. <laughs> so... Um, uh, uh, I thought it was the worst movie in history of western <laughs> civilization but while i was doing it but uh it shows you how what do i know you know yeah. it, it, it's it's a generational cultural uh they never never underestimate the desire for gore and ironic humor right so yeah. uh it did quite well i, I was doing um the largest production in the history of PBS at that time called Roanoke. And I remember picking up the New York Times and on one side of the New York Times there was a good review for Roanoke and on the other side a good review for Toxic Avengers. So there's certainly a place for all different kinds of 
energies in, in the film world. Yeah. The only reason I mentioned it is because, well, it's for, you know it's listed as your first thing that you did. And I also, a few years back, I had Lloyd Kaufman on the show. So uh, it just, you know, brought that back to memory. Those guys are very unique. I, oh, yes. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I understand they're retired now. Um, but I... Uh, Throughout the years, I was always trying to get them to do a good movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but they, you know, quote unquote, a good movie. But they, uh, they had no interest. Right? Yeah, Lloyd. They, Lloyd said there was no money in that. <laughs> they like doing what they're doing. Yeah, and uh, uh, it was a funny experience because I think the movie was there was this older guy that I think was a mob guy, and he was financing the movie. Uh, and his young ingenue kept woman was the leading lady. And so, uh, you know, I had just had a breakup because a woman that I'd been with and loved dearly had, who I'm actually still friends with now, but, um, she had gone off to, uh, become involved with a billionaire. And she'd been a great fashion designer at the time. And as soon as all the economic necessity of being a fashion designer was removed, she didn't do it anymore because she was a billionaire socialite, socialite woman, uh, wife then. Mm-hmm. So I, I, one day I was railing to this young ingenue on the movie, uh, that I didn't think it was a good idea for women, uh, to be supported by older guys. Well, uh, the next day, um, I was in the men's room uh, doing my business, and here comes the two muscle goombas that showed up with this older guy every day, and they were like, you are not to speak to whatever her name was ever again. And so I think she probably went home and said, "Uh, Patrick said that young women shouldn't be supported by older guys. I sort of zipped up and zipped up my mouth and said, sure. And that was the last I said of that. But, uh, uh, yeah, Toxic Avenger. Hmm. Yeah, that goes back. It's a weird life because the next film after that was directed by, uh, my first SAG film was directed by Nicholas Wilk, who was a great British visionary director of the 20th century into the 21st century recently passed away but so you you run into all kinds of styles of movies and all kinds of expressions of films yeah yeah well you and most of the time you you do you know one-offs on tv shows and and i mean name a tv show and you've probably done it but uh, (laughs) i i noticed that at one point back in the 90s uh, you actually did uh, like eight eight episodes or so of uh, Doctor Quinn Medicine Show, which is which is, like like you say, a lot different than Toxic Avenger. <laughs> oh yeah, um, they just had the twenty fifth anniversary of that show. I um, yeah, that was fun. The worst part of the job though was the wool uh, uniform, because people don't realize it was shot up in Agora Hills, very hot. Mm. And those cavalry uniforms, I played the evil Sergeant O'Connor. And uh, and so uh, I was running around. The horseback riding was great. But the wool uniforms were really the, the, the bane of my existence on that one. 
But it was very nice to catch the final episodes of Dr. Quinn. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed working with that and making acquaintance with Jane Seymour. And James Keach, her husband at the time, was directing those episodes. And uh, Sully, I forget the actor's name who played Sully, but he was a great guy, too. Uh, oh, yeah, I'm trying to think. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, anyways. It's all know. acting. You know, people ask me, do you like sci-fi or do you like war movies or do you like this? So, and, you know, it, it's it's really great to, I, I thrive on uh, diversity. I mean, uh, you know, variability, um, going from one thing to the next. Mm-hmm. Um, Catalyst coming out is a very, very different project from Nightwalk that's coming out. You know, very, not only uh, their structure and how they're produced are very different, but their storylines and everything else are very different. It would get very, very boring if you were doing the same kind of thing over and over. Although it's kind of interesting when you do a character for any length of time, you can really settle into a comfortability with that character. But I, being a journeyman actor, would just go from one job to the next. I mean, you know, sometimes three or four auditions in a day. Wow. And, you know, if they tell you to be a 17th century pirate, you're in the parking lot turning yourself into a pirate. (laughs) And then later on, you're a dirty cowboy rubbing dirt on your face outside the Paramount studio in the garden. Yeah. Huh. Now you so, uh, several times you mentioned uh, horses horses and do you it sounds like you you like horses and you you seem to have a a likeness for for riding is is this something that you've had all your life or just when you started acting Well my parents uh, viewed horseback riding as an upwardly mobile activity which it certainly was in a status activity so I got my first horse when I was nine, and uh, I loved jumping and uh, cross-country. I wasn't much good at dressage, uh, which was too delicate for my sensibility. My sisters were good at that. Um, but yes, I, I very early on, horses, uh, my father, even though he was an insurance executive, had been raised in a farm in Louisiana, and so his aspirations were to be a gentleman farmer and uh, so we had a place in Connecticut and then later on in Virginia and horses were always a mainstay of doing it and it really helped me I mean I could ride better than the Wranglers who were uh, running the horses on most movies because I've been a competitive rider yeah. yeah, I still do it occasionally I'm actually allergic to horses oh really um, but that didn't stop me from doing stuff. In the, um, you take a little singular and adver, you jump on and you go do your thing. Yeah. Um, that's kind of similar impulse to the doing your own stunts, you yeah. know. Uh, so it, it's a, it's been a wonderful experience. Yeah, huh. yeah. So you really knew how to ride, as opposed to I. I can't remember i think it was might have been robert fuller i don't know if you remember robert fuller uh westerns years ago he was on tv and uh yeah he had he had told me when i interviewed him that you know he didn't know how to ride and it, and it may be wrong it may not have been him maybe one of the other actors i've interviewed but uh, several have told me that you know 
if you didn't know how to ride, you said you knew how to ride because <laughs> you, you just wanted to get the job. Well, and actors are notoriously uh, notorious for lying yeah. about things, but so I'd always say, yeah, I know actors are notorious for lying, but I can ride like a demon. Right? Yeah, uh, I knew how. <laughs> yeah, um, it was it was. But I've seen actors fired the first day or so when they take you out, and it's apparent that you're. I mean, I teach actors uh, and mentor a lot of young actors in a program we have, and one of the things I encourage them to do is to do all those physical things prior to the actual need arising, Mm -hmm. and that the universe will open up and give them an opportunity for those things. So you want to be able to do mixed martial arts and boxing and shooting pistols and rifles and motorcycling and uh, horseback riding, swimming and all those things, because sure enough, uh, a job is going to come up and you don't want to either lose the job or be embarrassed and be unable to do it. Right, yeah. yeah. Physical things uh, came very, very easily for me. I was just, did all kinds of sports and all kinds of things and all of that was great. I call it movie black belt. Right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, you you got to know these things. I mean, you never know when they're going to ask you to do it, so, yeah. Well, more than that, I actually think the universe opens up and creates a place for you. It sounds a little hocus-pocus, but if you become very adept at dialects, which I did, I made it a passionate hobby to learn how to speak like a South African or a French-American or a a person from Mississippi or Texas or a Cockney Englishman or an upper-class Englishman, lo and behold you become known as a person who can do those things. I just did uh, play a Serbian mass killer on NCIS. And uh, your mind gets more attuned to being, doing all of that stuff. So it's a very good idea to put the energy out so that the universe knows that you're ready for these things. Mm-hmm. It's just like, uh, you know, I, I started working on the play Requiem for Heavyweight by Rod Serling. Yep. Um, that uh, and sure enough, next thing I knew, I was playing the the role in regional theater. Hmm. So, for, in some ways, acting has always life has always been sort of miraculous for me. I'll start, I'll grow a beard inexplicably, and then the next thing you know, I I need to have a beard, yeah. <laughs> or I'll start pumping iron, and it, it's almost like. Uh, Somewhere inside me, I know what's coming, and so um, I start working on it. Yeah. Huh. Well, Patrick, I want to finish up with two final questions here. Sure. Taking us away from uh, your acting and your book that uh, people can get now, Dying for Living, Sins and Confessions of a Hollywood Villain and Libertine Patriot, and of course, keep your eye out for Volume 2, coming up possibly this fall. But uh, I'd like to finish up with the questions of when you sit back and relax, what do you enjoy watching on TV? And what's your favorite TV shows now and of the past? And what's your favorite movies now and of the past? Oh, God. My tastes are pretty wide ranging. Um, uh, my fiance is always going, How do you find the time to get back? Because I've watched everything <laughs> documentaries. Uh, Right now, I'm watching the final episode of Versailles. Um, my favorite movies are, I think, largely those movies that you know, 
I know that emotionally engage us and lead us to our better selves, like the original Spartacus, um, Braveheart 300, uh, Saving Private Ryan. Mm -hmm. Um, But the the world of viewing has so many extraordinary things. I love Will Ferrell movies, um, and I don't know why they've sort of tapered off doing those, but they're hysterical, and Mm -hmm. I can just imagine the fun that they're having while they're doing a movie like that, yeah. like uh, Talladega Nights or Step Brothers or that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I watch everything. I mean, I just watched the documentary on Ted Williams. Uh, I, I, I see a lot of films and a lot of things. I, I didn't particularly like the comic book realm thing until I started as a member of the Television Academy going to their theater and it's such a huge theater that all those special effects that's a wonderful environment for watching that but I, I, uh, I'll, I'll see it this way movies that don't engage us emotionally uh, fail for me mm-hmm. and so I'm always looking to be emotionally engaged yeah, yeah. well Patrick I cannot by the way a great movie I recommend to your audience that's out right now called Shepherds and Butchers, really fine movie. Really? On Netflix. Yeah. Okay, I haven't yeah, seen that. really one. good film. Yeah. Oh, well, well, good. Um, and, and, and like I say, I, I thank you for taking the time to share with us, Patrick. And uh, the, there's so many things we could have so talked about because you've done so much. But, but uh, people should really go out and get your book, Dying for Living, Sins and Confessions of a Hollywood Villain and Libertine Patriot. And uh, I thank you so much. Yeah, let me just add that it's on Amazon.com and BarnesandNobles.com. And if they want an autographed copy, they can go to my website, PatrickKillPatrick.com. But there's Audible version and paperback and Kindle. And it just uh, it uh, quickly got a Best of L.A. award. And we were just ranked number nine of the 11 books all 30-year-olds years, 30 year olds should read. Wow. Uh, so I'm I'm uh, I'm pleased by that, and so journalists and readers, and we have a hundred percent five star reviews. So I'm very very pleased by that, and onward and upward. Thank you for taking the time with me, and I'll talk to you at volume two. big thank you going out to Patrick Kilpatrick for joining us here at On Screen and Beyond. And uh, love his movies. He's always so tense. You know, he seems like a really intense guy, but he's such a nice guy. So we appreciate him taking the time. Be sure to check out his book, and uh, we'll all uh, get to know a lot more about him. So uh, that's a good book to check out. And like he said during the interview, you can get it on Amazon, or you know, you can get it at his website and uh, get it autographed and all that sort of stuff. So uh, be sure to check that out. Patrick Kilpatrick, and uh, thank you once again for taking the time to talk to us. And that is it. We are done with another episode of On Screen and Beyond, 516 episodes. So glad that uh, you are telling friends. Be sure to do that. Uh, let uh, If somebody thought that we went away, be sure to let them know so we can all uh, get back in line here. And uh, we appreciate you taking time. But, the, you know, like us on Facebook and all that stuff. But uh, the best thing is to let people know. Leave us a review on uh, iTunes if you can. 
and uh, we'll see what we can do about getting some more great guests coming your way right here on On Screen and Beyond. So until next time, when we once again take you on screen and beyond, I'm Brian Zemrak. Take care. (laughs) 